Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that needs to be pressured by the public into doing the absolute bare minimum for the safety of its attendance, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the spectral adversary herself, Emma. How are you doing today? Yeah, hey, I'm not doing too bad, thanks. Been busy this week because obviously it's been an Instagram hunt preview, so mm. I've been wrapping that up for MTG Rocks. Um, so I treated myself to a nice three-day weekend um, just to chill out from Friday onwards nice. because, you know, preview seasons are pretty hectic for us creators. Mm. In terms of magic, I've been playing a lot of Neoform Affinity, as I mentioned last week, mm. and honestly, it is the most fun I've had in Modern for a long time. It's gas. Like, it's, yeah. it's the sort of deck that I'm just really excited to go to FNM and play with it, which is not something I've had for quite a while, so it's a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, not like it's, it's, it's a bit like old-school Affinity, right? You just splurge your hand and then you just mm. Neoform into something. Um, you have these interesting lines and like when to cast it and what to get. Um, but yeah, I've been running really hot with it and I haven't dropped a game since I played it like start playing it like three weeks ago. I think it's made me realise that if you have fun playing a deck, it kind of lends to your like your mindset and that you, you're able to win more oh, because sure. you actually enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Um, which is an important thing to take away when it comes to magic because we get focused on playing the best thing. Doesn't necessarily mean you enjoy it. Yep. Also, I've tweaked Mono Green Tron in Modern um, to include Gigantha because, nice. you know, a free 5 5 seems fine mm-hmm. and uh, Walking Blister doesn't seem great because you have stuff like Prismatic Ending and you've still got Walking Blister to get from your sideboard yeah. because you still run Khan the Great Creator. So having a free 5 5 seems pretty good. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I've been just been catching up with friends and just, you know, trying to wind down and not do as much magic stuff in terms of content so me and my, me and my friends have started doing like a movie night or like every other week mm. with like a theme so this week it was classic video game movies oh, no. so we watch so we we, we round it down to three so we pick three and we vote for them mm. um so we did mortal kombat the original one the 95 mm. movie we did street fighter which is a great film and then we did super mario brothers which i'm not keen on but it's part of that sort of yeah, era yeah, so yeah. that was pretty fun to watch and then I've just been catching up on sports because NFL's back, so my Sundays are busy again, yeah. so that's been good fun as well. Nice. How about you? What have you been up to? Um, I haven't been up to a whole lot this week. I'm doing well, though. My article this week, however, is a big one. It is three full new commander decks to build from Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Um, I cover a wide range of archetypes in it, uh, including anti-control control, if that makes sense. Uh, so you can check that out over on Card Kingdom after the show if you're interested in some of the cooler commanders from Innistrad. Magic-wise, I went to my first modern event this week since the start of the pandemic, which was nice. Um, it was great. It was on at the War Chest, which is down in Dunleary here in Ireland, um, south of Dublin. It's a tiny LGS where I first got into Magic. It can fit no more than, like, 12 people. We have a 60% occupancy restriction at the moment, so if a yeah. building can normally hold, like, you know, 100 people, it can only hold 60 now, that kind of thing. The max they can have at the moment is 12 players, and on Thursday there, there was only 9 players, but the skill level was really high. They were all very, very good players. They also kept the safety standards to a maximum. There was a really chill vibe, so it was really good overall. I went 2-1, right? I was playing against Living nice. End in the last round. I locked them mm-hmm. under Blood Moon. And then I played a threat and I passed the turn. I was playing Blue Red Prowess. And sure. they immediately top decked a forest, slammed it, evoked a foundation breaker, blew up the moon, and then when Shardless Agent put like 30 power onto board, uh, I was like, well, that's gross. Screw me, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. Of all the cards to draw that one basic, yeah. they only run like two basics in a deck or something, right? right? Something ridiculous like that. That's it. Wow. But your luck, you know, sometimes even the unluckiest outcome gets you. And even if you play to your outs, the outs will get you too. So 
you know. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> It, there's nothing you could have done in that situation so it. there's no point beating yourself up over that's it that's it they just believed in the heart of the cards a little bit more than I did what can I say mm. you know? <laughs> moving on have we got any housekeeping this week actually Emma uh, yes we do so as of this week we have an extra special bonus benefit for our patrons you can now get access to the episodes of the BMCast a whole day early so you get them on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday so you can get the latest stonks on a Wednesday. Um, this is available for all patron tiers. So head over to patreon.com slash bmcast to sign up and take advantage of the early episodes as well as many other benefits. So they go up the same time, but it's just on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday. If you enjoy the BMCast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right. So this week is my turn for card of the week. And I have a really neat one for you. This card is called Abjure. So Abjure is a single blue for an instant from Weatherlight. So it's a pretty old card. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a blue permanent, and it says counter target spell. So it's a one mana counter spell, basically. It's really good in blue decks to have like an excess of permanents laying around. So think like Talrand, you could just sack a Drake or Min Wily Illusionist, you could just sack a token, the illusion tokens and that kind of thing. It's also really good in decks that are full of like Sacrifice Fodder, like Kel's Fight Fixer. Not every deck wants to run it, but decks that have any kind of token generators like that, that have blue, absolutely put this in. It's 45 cents. It's totally worth the, the pickup. Yeah, seems a really nice card. Didn't know it was a card until you just showed it off right now. So that's cool to know. <laughs> If you need to know about weird niche blue cards, I'm your guy. <laughs> okay, so moving on, we are going to have a quick chat about the week's roundup. The main thing that we're talking about this week is Pauper's B and or update. So we were talking about last week how everybody went into a Pauper challenge and registered nothing but basic lands. That was a protest to the state of the format. Wizards of the Coast turned around and said, oh, we're going to make changes to the format now in this coming week. And that happened on Wednesday just gone or Tuesday just gone. I can't remember. Time doesn't matter anymore. It's still March to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So they banned Chatterstorm and Sojourner's Companion. This was an attempt to nerf both Storm and Affinity in order to help other archetypes sort of branch out and, and resurface. There have been no challenges yet at the time of this recording, so we'll have to see how the format shapes over the next few weeks to see how things go. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Emma? Do you have any thoughts? So I think I'm similar to you. Like I didn't have high, I didn't have high expectations because I don't think Watsy really know Pauper that well. They don't follow mm. it that much. So it's what I expected, but I, w I was kind of hoping to yeah. be proven wrong at the same time, if that makes sense, because Sejourner's Companion just feels like a, a bit of a pointless ban because you already have Mirror Enforcer. Yep. It's just like, why not ban Atog? Why is, why is Atog getting a free pass here? Surely it would have been better to ban that card. Mm. Obviously, Chatterstorm is the correct one. I think that's one that you should ban. But they also mentioned a couple of cards that are like on the radar, yeah. didn't they? Uh, like Galvanic Relay being an example of this. And I'm just like, if that's the case, just ban it. Like if you're if you're really worried mm -hmm. about it, just ban it. Like why is it on this list? Like it's not it's not like historic where you can just suspend them and then you know deal with it later sort of thing. Yeah. 
Honestly, I don't think it's going to do a lot. I think, you know, Affinity's still going to be good. I think Tron will come back, and then obviously Monarch's going to come back in some way. And then, you know, you're going to have, what, like three, four decks that are super good, and then people are just going to play those. Yep. And then people will probably get bored again. And then maybe there'll be another, you know, 60 land preliminary again. Who sure. knows? Like, just doesn't. It feels like a short term fix, but yeah. it's not. It's not good i don't think i'm not i'm not happy with it but it's what i expected sojourner's companion in particular actually enraged me like it it just confirmed that they have no clue what they're doing because we're going to band copies five to eight of a four four because well their actual words is they don't want to change how the deck functions so they don't didn't want to remove the combo Mm. kill of atog and fling but like you got sometimes you just got to do it like if you remove that you make it just a very solid aggro deck that doesn't have a backdoor accidentally win sacrifice all my stuff combo kill like the thing that has me concerned now is that they're going to see that affinity is going to keep doing well and they're going to see that the only other real addition to the deck since it got good was the indestructible artifact lands and nice. I think targeting them is going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible idea for two reasons. One, Gorilla Shaman was an absolute joke of a cyborg card. And I'm glad it doesn't see play anymore because attempting to blow up their lands with a hate card that you have to have on turns one or two in order to actually be effective in any way, shape or form is a terrible plan. You should be able to cyborg better for it. But on top of that, one of the th- good reasons to keep it around is because there are the indestructible cleansing wildfire decks. And they use the indestructible lands to cleansing wildfire to ramp themselves and cantrip in order to advance ahead. And that's a really cool and interesting format of deck to build because it also has built, it's a mid-range deck that has built in Tron hate in the main deck in often up to eight copies as well. So with, is it Geomancer's Gambit? I think it is. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got eight cantripping stone rains for Tron, which is incredible. You know, and if you remove those indestructible lands, that deck just doesn't exist anymore. And then Tron reigns supreme again. So I'm very afraid that they're going to see that Affinity are still doing well. They still don't want to affect how the deck actually works. And then they ban the indestructible lands and then kill another deck and then make Tron prominent again. That's yeah. a nightmare scenario. But And then we're back to where we were like a year ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But yeah. that is this week's roundup. Now we're going to head into the midnight hunt previews so what we're doing this week is a little bit different normally we talk about a couple of cards each and that sort of thing and that's what we're going to do but we're changing the format of it slightly we're going to talk about our top pick from the set in each color so i have one for white emma has one for white i have one for blue emma has one for blue and so on for the whole thing so i guess i'll start off yes it's 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 rare that i start which is (laughs) normally me yeah i'll take the helm on this one and i will head in Uh with my choice of I'm going to say favorite. I'm not going to say best. I'm going to say favorite because there are a number of cards before I jump in. Actually, there are a number of cards in this that are really, really interesting, but they're not necessarily really, really powerful. And I don't think formats like Pioneer or Modern are going to be particularly impacted by this set. Like there might be two, maybe three cards and that's about it. And as far as sets go, that's a pretty reasonable spot to be in, you know? So... Yeah, so rather than talk about the best cards, I'm going to talk about some of the more interesting or favorite cards of mine. And the white one is Search Party Captain. So this came in the preview final deck dump there the other day. It's three and a white for a 2-2 human soldier at common. And it says, this spell costs one less to cast for each creature you attacked with this turn. 
And when search party captain enters the battlefield, draw a card. So it seems innocuous, right? But this is white's equivalent to Phyrexian Rager or Land of War Visionary. Now, it has got the lowest floor, considering that it can cost four mana, but it's very easy to avoid that worst case scenario. You just have to attack with one creature and it's already better than Phyrexian Rager. It has a really high ceiling. It's the highest ceiling of all of these types of cards because it could become a one mana 2-2 two -two the cantrips. That's unbelievably powerful. Now, this is really good for white for two reasons. One, it's more card draw in white. So people have been asking for more card draw in white. Here it is. And yeah. also, it's not card draw that's been reserved for higher rarities. You know, you're not seeing like rares and mythics only having this card advantage stuff. There's stuff down as far as common, which is really, really nice. And considering it's common, there's white aggro decks in Pauper that are getting a new toy in the form of this. So that might show up in there. But I think for standard and stuff, this could be really cool in the white aggro decks. Yeah, it's great to see cards like this. Really like it. Might be a cute consideration for me, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, because one thing I've noticed, on a side note, there seems to be quite a lot of powerful commons and uncommons mm. in the set, which I think are going to have a big role in like standard and stuff. Yeah. And it's not always about like the rares and mythics. Saying that, though, my white cards are rare um, that I'm quite excited mm. about, and that is Fateful Absence. So for one generic and a white, you get an instant, and it is simply, it just frees. Destroy target creature or planeswalker, it controllers investigates. And investigate is where they make a clue token, they pay two mana, and they can draw a card. It's just nice for white to have instant speed removal for planeswalkers. That yeah. is the biggest takeaway here. Um, the fact that it can remove creatures is great. The fact it destroys is also fine. You exile, mm -hmm. like, I know white tends to have exile effects. I think I would take planeswalker removal that destroys over exiling, yeah. you know given the opportunity um it is a narrow declaration in stone because it doesn't hit like multiples or tokens mm -hmm. but you do get the instant speed so it's quite powerful there isn't much else to say it's just a clean like uh simple spell removal spell it's going to see a lot of playing standard and i suspect it's going to see a lot of playing pioneer as well mm -hmm. instead of having declaration stone, you're just going to play this mm -hmm. and i'm very excited to play four of this in standard when the set drops i have a bit of a hot take on this one and that is that this might show up in modern and I think it's like sideboard worthy. I think it might be main deck worthy in certain circumstances. And the reason for that is because a lot of the blue white control decks are running chalices right now. And this is better yes. than Path to Exile because it means you can chalice on one and still have yeah. unconditional removal, which is quite nice. Now, I know Prismatic Ending is there, yeah. but sometimes you need extra copies depending on how the metagame shapes up. So in the presence of Chalice of the Void, I think this is a really good call. Yeah, I just think this is really good. And um, if you're looking to pre-order any Midnight Hunt cards, I'd just pre-order four of these. Yeah, they're pretty good. I think they're going to be fairly expensive on release just because it's it's got such a high ceiling in other formats. Yeah. All right, so that's quite done. Moving on to one of the better colours. Sorry, Emma. <laughs> Rude. Is uh, my choice for my favourite blue card. Now, you stole my favourite blue card, but that's okay. I've already talked plenty about that myself. But, exactly, yeah. but <laughs> I'm going to go for a Malevolent Hermit, which transforms into Benevolent Geist. So Malevolent Hermit is one in a blue for a 2-1 human wizard that has an ability. You pay blue and sacrifice Malevolent Hermit to counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays three. And then it has Disturb for two and a blue. And Disturb is an ability from Midnight Hunt that says you may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its Disturb cost and it transforms into Benevolent Geist, which is a 2-2 spirit wizard with flying that reads, non-creature spells you control can't be countered, and if Benevolent Geist will be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Now that final clause is on all of the disturbed creatures. So this is really, really cool because 
it's a decent wizard. It has a super spell pierce attached to it. It puts itself in the bin in order to be brought back with Disturb. And Disturb is very good in general because you can discard this for value or you can mill it over for value. And the backside makes Counter Wars one-sided. It turns every negate that you own into a Dovin's Veto. And Mm -hmm. then also, if you're trying to combo off, particularly in like Commander or something, if you're trying to combo off, your opponents can't counter any of your non-creature spells. So they just resolve, which is fantastic. This could show up in standard if the situation is right, like if there are a bunch of control decks, that kind of thing. But this will definitely shine in Commander, I reckon. Yeah. Card seems really sweet. Um, So, unsurprisingly, (laughs) my card is one of Scott's favourites. So I'm going to talk about Consider, because I know you've talked about it quite a bit on the the podcast and on Twitter. (laughs) It's just because, obviously, with the way the preview seasons have gone, this was previewed quite early on, and I suspect some people have just kind of forgotten. But no, Consider is a it's a one minute instant in blue and you look at the top card of your library you may put that card into your graveyard and you draw a card and it's a common which is quite good as well in terms of modern it's likely to be a better version of opt since graveyards play a huge role in the format in it feeds Merktite region it can enable delirium from dragons race channeler it can help you feed like a snapcaster mage later mm. on if you just want to put a spell in your bin and you want to recast it later on fantastic cantrip like expect to see it in like modern pioneer and standard again if you draft the set and you see some draft chef somewhere and there's a consider i just pick up all the considers you can because i think it's just going to get better as you know more cards are printed yeah yeah it's really good i i don't have anything else to add well no that's not true i have yeah, so it's much just, to it's add, just great like... it's a great card <laughs> like it, it's also a common so i can't say it being like super expensive mm-hmm. but it's just one of those cards that i think you're just going to want four of like you, i don't think you're ever going to want to run less um yeah. just because of what it can do so um, i did the maths on this and i will actually need for all of my decks i will need 15 copies 15 <laughs> 15 yeah for all my commander decks okay. and all the the constructed ah. decks that need uh four copies so yeah i'm just going to pick up four and forget about them and then if i ever play blue i'm like sweet sorted Yep. Yeah. Right. So on to black next. My choice for black is again a lot of these are commander focused for me. I feel like this set is better for commander than any other set. Now I could be wrong. Obviously, this is going to shake up standard quite a lot, but rotation's already going to kind of do that. So you know. But anyway, morbid opportunist is my pick. It's two and a black for a one-three human rogue. Rogue being relevant potentially. Whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So this is a card draw engine for black decks, particularly in Commander. It only triggers once a turn, but it can trigger on opponent's turns as well. And on top of that, usually these kind of cards have, you know, if one or more creatures you control die, or if a non-token creature you control dies, draw a card. This triggers for any creature dying at all. It could be yours, it could be a token, it could be an opponent's creature, it could be anything. So if you kill something, or if they sacrifice something, or anything like that, you get to draw the card. Normally, these like these kind of effects are super, super powerful. Um, I would expect to see this show up quite a bit in Commander, I think. Mm. So my black card is one of their mythics from the set, and that is Jaren Corrupted Bishop. So there's a lot of text, because it's a double-faced card. Mm. So for two generic and a black, you get a legendary human cleric, and it reads... Whenever Jaren Corrupted Bishop enters the battlefield or another non-token human you control dies, you lose one life and create a 1-1 white human creature token. You can pay two generic mana to give target human you control lifelink until end of turn. 
And at the beginning of your end step, if you have exactly 13 life, you may pay four generic and two black. If you do, you can transform uh, mm -hmm. Jaren into Ormondar the Corruptor, who is a 6 6 flying trample lifelink demon. Um, you can sacrifice a creature to draw a card. While, like, this could see play in modern in, like, human lists, okay. because A, it's a human, it's a 2 3 human. That stat line's important because it can come out of bolt range if you have all your lords in play. It's a good way to show up against like aggressive decks because it's got lifelink, so you can give like your Mantis Rider lifelink, we can give like your sure, big yeah. Farley as a ten or a champion the Paris lifelink, which might be relevant if your meta is like very burn and very aggressive heavy. It replaces your other humans with human tokens, so there is some synergy there with like Champion of the Parish and Farley's your lieutenant. It's unlikely you're ever going to flip this if you do play it in those kind of decks. <laughs> yeah. It's more of an incidental thing, I guess, if you know if you fancy it. But you're more interested in the creature side. Also, like in terms of commander, it's an interesting commander as yeah. well because it, it lends to like the sack approach, and you can just have this big demon at the end of it and just go off and you know sack a load of permanents and creatures and draw cards. But yeah, it's an interesting card. I think there is a place for it somewhere in a humans list. I wouldn't say it's going to be in human this going forward yeah. but it's a cool thing to just consider if you you know if your meta is very aggressive uh, i think to consider i see what you did there yeah <laughs> yeah it's a cool design anyway I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite a big fan of these like big splashy mythic clip cars i think they're all quite good yeah yeah it's quite nice um yeah i, I <laughs> it is quite a lot of hoops to jump through in order to flip that i will say but yeah, yeah i can imagine like flipping it and just being able to sack anything you want to just draw cards is it's gonna feel good. I flipped it back in Shadows of Innistrad when you had Westvale Abbey. That was oh, always yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So on to red. I have one now. This is no surprise at all. But my pick for my favorite red card is Ardent Elementalist. Again, another one that just sort of arrived in the card dump yeah. at the end, and it's three and a red for a two-one human shaman. Uh, reads, when Ardent Elementalist enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. This is Archaeomancer, only more aggressively statted and easier to cast in red. That's crazy. It's good. Yeah. So some decks very, very some good. decks are using Revolutionist at the moment, the six mana one from Modern Horizons 2 that has Madness yeah. for three and a red. Now, some decks will still want Revolutionist over this because they might be like super discard heavy or they might be a madness themed deck. But if you're building your red decks properly and taking advantage of their loot effects and their rummage effects and all that kind of thing and you're doing it properly, you'll probably want this as well as Revolutionist. It's just so good. It's so strong. This kind of effect. Is yeah. it? Imagine you're just going to jam this in every red commander deck possible. Yeah, I'm trying to find a slot in Lelia right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, so my red card is Bloodthirsty Adversary. So for one generic and a red, you get a 2-2 creature vampire. It has haste and it reads, When Bloodthirsty Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay two generic and a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary. Then exile up to that many target instant and or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. Mm -hmm. Um, so this one seems very pushed for standard or constructors. Mm. The adversary cycle seems pretty good in general. Like I really like the whole cycle. Yeah. I think it's a really cool way to have kicker but not have multi kicker at the same time. Mm. Um, so for a two two uh, for two with haste is a good baseline for red aggressive decks anyway because we have stuff like Robert the Rich is a really good example yeah. of this. Like casting like a free shock or a magic missile and copying it seems mm. really really good even if you just 
do it once. As I said, it feels like an immediate replacement of Robber the Rich, but it's better in the late game because if you're like flooded on mana and you draw this, you can just chain off a load of spells. Yeah. And also it has a lot of references to Goblin Dark Dwellers, which saw a lot of play back in uh, Over the Gatewatch Battle for Zendikar standard. Yep. And it does kind of does a similar thing. I think this will be a very important card for standard and perhaps pioneer and will only get better the more cards enter standard over the next year or so. So yeah. it's one to keep an eye out. And also we have Crimson Vale coming up in November and this is a vampire. So there will be some synergies there as well. Yeah, for sure. And I know that a lot of people in Commander as well are very, very hyped for this card because you pay five mana and you can rebuy your Wheel of Fortune. So yeah. that's gross. Seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So on to green. My pick is Augur of Autumn. So Augur of Autumn is one green green for a 2-3 human druid, and you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play lands from the top of your library. It also has Coven, and it says, as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you may cast creature spells from the top of your library as well. So it's a Corsair of Crufix effect, basically. They're usually sought after in multiple formats. It's good to have one in standard pretty much all the time, just because it's one of those effects, you know? It's, it's not broken, it feels good, it's nice, you know? Being able to play creatures off the top of Coven active is really, really good. It's very clever design for a couple of reasons. So first of all, it encourages playing with various different creatures. So you're not just like, oh, I want to jam like four of this and four of that and four of the other and have the highest stats possible. No, it promotes diversity within your deck building, which is cool. And it also doesn't front load all of its power with no work required. So it creates dynamic gameplay. Like you can play this early and start get lands like hitting your land drops and that kind of thing and then later if you have a bit of a developed board you can use it to develop the board even further with the creature part so mm. i really like this i think it's going to show up in a number of places probably standard for sure uh commander for sure because it's additional copies yeah. of of the same thing in a singleton format that's a good thing and it could show up in pioneer like corsair crucifix shows up the odd time the extra point of toughness on Corsair Crucifix and the life gain is sometimes relevant, but sometimes you'll want to just play creatures as well, so you might choose this. But yeah, I expect this to show up, yeah. Yeah, yes, cool design. Um, as you say, it's really good just to have multiples of these kind of effects, mm -hmm. just because green players always want them. You have like Oracle and Moldire, and then you have this, and then you've got Corsair. It's just like, you just want as many sort of peep effects as possible. Yep. So my pick is one that was in the dump on the last day, yeah. And I think this card's pretty good, and I'm amazed no one's really talking about it, and that's Death Bonnet Sprout. So for one green, you get a 1-1 one, one Fungus, mm -hmm. and it reads, At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. Then, if there are three or more creature cards in your graveyard, you tra transform Death Bonnet Sprout into Death Bonnet Hulk, uh, which turns into a 3-3 free, free Fungus Horror. And it reads, At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile a card from a graveyard. If a, if a creature card was exiled this way, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Death Bonnet Hulk. Mm -hmm. Basically, this is Delver's Secrets in green. <laughs> Changed my mind. I don't know if it's going to have like legs in Modern or Pioneer, mm. but I can just see it being like in like a green base, like aggressive standard deck, or like a green black sort of aggro mid range mm. deck. It's just like a really cool design, and I feel like flipping it is quite easy if you just got enough density of creatures. Be, yeah. But yeah, not a lot else to say. I just think this is really, really cool. The art's really sweet. The little fungus mm -hmm. is very cute. Um, and it's, I think it's just one to keep an eye out on, especially if there's ways just to put creatures into your graveyard. And like that sort of scavenging ooze-esque effect on yeah. the other side might be relevant in standard as well. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the little mushrooms from Dark Souls, where yes. they run away from you and then the huge ones come along and absolutely plant you into the ground. 
Yeah. Yes. I like how you <laughs> use the word plant there as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then finally, we're just putting multicolored under one umbrella, I suppose, to make sure that mm. we don't sit here and talk for actual hours. Yeah. <laughs> my pick for uh, my favorite multicolor card is Can't Stay Away. So it's white and a black for a sorcery that reads return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would die, exile it instead. And it has flashback for three, a white and a black. So it's a neat unearth with flashback, you know, like it does have the exile clause on it, which is a bit of a downside sometimes, but ultimately it's usually fine. It might show up in modern as like a one of in like stone blade decks just to be able to grind out and that kind of thing, rebuy a stoneforge mystic and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just a neat utility card that you're glad exists, which is like unearth yeah. in a nutshell. It can't stay away in a nutshell. It's it's neat. I like it. Also, the art is really cool. Yeah, there's lots of cats on the art. Ghost cat. <laughs> I love it. Many ghost cats. <laughs> um, so my my pick is Catilda Dawnheart Prime. For one green and one white, you get a human warlock that is a one one, and it reads. So Catilda has protection from werewolves. Human creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any of this creature's colours, and then you can play four green and a white to put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. So that last ability is very reminiscent to Gavany Township back in uh, original Innistrad. Um, so the card seems like a direct inspiration from Cryptolithrite back in Shadows Over Innistrad. We saw a lot of play. Admittedly, it was an enchantment, so it was harder to get rid of. Catilda is easier to remove, but the reward just seems so much higher if you're able just to go wide. I think there is a world in like Standard, for example, maybe even Pioneer, where you play this for like Turn Timber Symbiosis, Emiria's Call, Join the Dance, mm. you know, have these go wide, cheap creature sort of decks. Um, so you can just ramp into something big or just ramp into and Gavany Township um, on the last ability. Mm. Um, also works well with the Intrepid Adversary, the white one. So you can ramp into that and then just like anthem your board as well yeah. because you can just use the cost from that. Um, also, pro werewolves seems very relevant considering Midnight Hunt's very werewolf focus and werewolves are uh, expected to see play. The fact it is a one-one is a bit naff yeah. because there's a lot of a lot of the like shocks legal. You got a lot of the, a lot of the removal hits like uh, for free damage. But no, it seems a really cool card, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a world where you just have you know green white tokens again with this at the helm. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It can be scary strong crypto with right kind of effect. So yeah. Yes. Probably commander playable as well. Oh, Maybe yeah. not as a commander, but just as a way to just generate more mana. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. And we have uh, one or two little shout outs to cards that don't quite fit in any of the the categories that we mentioned there. Yep. So Field of Ruin is a nice one. It's just a really good reprint that I guess has been put in to deal with the Fatal Haven mono white Book of Exalted Deeds oh, deck yeah. that's coming. Yeah. I think that's that's why it's in there. Um, it's one of those cards that I just think should always just be in standard, like Evolving Wilds, Mind Rot mm. sort of level of reprint, just because it's always nice to have. Yeah. And I just think it's a well-designed card. And the last one is Piff and Needle, um, another great sideboard card for standard, modern, and pioneer. At one point, they got really expensive due to the printing of Urza Saga, because you run that in the yeah. Urza Saga package main board. So it's just more of a heads up that I'd recommend just picking up these up, because they'll go back up again at some point, And it's just a really good utility card. Yep. Absolutely. You can play it in any deck as well. Same. 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. All right, so that will cover it for the previews for Midnight Hunt. Emma, to round out the episode, have you got any Q&A? We've got a lot of Q&A this oh week, Lord. so bear with us. 
So I'm going to start off with Sid, sorry, uh, Simon from the BMcast Discord. Uh, they've got a question for me to begin mm -hmm. with. Um, so on the subject of IPs, if a Simpsons set was a thing, which cards would you be most excited for? Will Mr. Burns be an of Syndicate representative of Springfield, for example, with looking at colour identity mm. of Simpsons characters? I think so. I don't think Mr. Burns is white, though. I would say he's more blue-black, personally. He's a bit more clever and cunning and menacing. Um, but on a side note, Mark Rosewater actually talked about the Simpsons characters all having a colour identity yeah. and like pairing it with it. So basically, I'll give you a quick rundown. So it won't be a set, I don't think. I think it would be like a secret lair mm. or maybe a commander deck, just because I want Ralph Wiggum as a commander. That would be mm. great on a side note. So you have Simpsons characters of each colour. So you've got Homer in red, you've got Marge in white, Maggie in green, Bart in black and Lisa in blue. Mm. And that Mark Rosewater did a big thing on it. I think you can, if you Google it, there's the piece for it somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I'd be excited for a Ralph Wiggum one, probably like blue white or something or green white, um, just just because he's my favourite Simpsons character. Mm -hmm. And it, extension to that, um, same question to Scott, but just insert your choice of IP instead of Simpsons if you're not overly keen on Simpsons. Yeah, I, this is this is something actually. Uh, <laughs> I've never really said this, but I I'm not really a fan of the Simpsons. I'm sorry. I know you're not. I'm sorry. It's fine. No one's perfect. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, I I have a tendency to to like something to a point, and then I'm just kind of done with it. And yeah, I did. I I had that with metal music. I had that with um like playing guitar and stuff. Like I still play music and stuff, but to a much lesser extent. And Simpsons was something that I watched all the time growing up. And when I got to like halfway through being a teenager, I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. You know, that's uh, fair. You know, so we all grow out. So. Yeah, that's it. Um, but what would your IP of choice be? My IP of choice. We were kind of talking about IPs th that we'd like to see Final recently. Fantasy Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy or Dark Souls. Souls yeah, it? yeah. Um, I would be very excited for. You know what? The one thing I do want to see, and I know people have done this before with like themed commander decks and stuff, but I want to see a commander deck where I could be Knight Artorius and have Sif as partner commanders That'd be cool. I want that legitimized I want that like officially like wizards turning around and going we're partnering with Bandai Namco and uh, you know here is Knight Artorius and Sif I'd be like yes give me that hook that to my veins I'd love an Ornestine and Smell partner that'd be good too yeah that would be cool yeah. I think that would be my favourite and then you have the uh, Praise the Sun guy as well he's got Solaria yeah. yeah that's a Solaria yeah, yeah. So, a question from Joe Cheney on the BMcast Discord. Uh, they ask, is Delver of Secrets even good enough for Historic? I am not well versed with Historic, so I don't think I can answer this, but the fact that Brainstorm Suspended probably helps it quite a bit, because <laughs> that would just be miserable. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not big up on Historic um, either, but I would say that never count Delver out, because like, just look mm -hmm. at Legacy. Like, I know that it's been there for forever you know and it's there because the supporting cast is available for it so if the supporting cast is good enough to be able to support delver then yes it absolutely is good enough it's historic seems to be closer to modern than any other format so i would be inclined to say not really but at the same time if, if you're talking about good enough from the frame of references of like is this going to be a tier one deck then probably not but that's never stopped me or a lot of people from playing with what we want to play either so yeah it probably is good enough yeah. in the grand scheme of things but competitively probably not though i'm not the best 
judge for this because same i don't play historic because i can't afford be honest can't afford to get into it Mm. because the economy just doesn't help right um so yeah so jamie c's got a question from the bmcast discord Mm -hmm. as well um with what hopefully will be the rise of pioneer with the new challenger decks do you have any pioneer decks at the moment yeah yeah i have is a phoenix surprise surprise um i'm shocked leanne here has the mono red uh, aggro deck, Mono Red Burn. And I also have the Mono Blue Tempo deck, which I will never not have because I love that deck so, so much. I That stand-up oh, was great. So good. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so I have two, but they're quite outdated now. So I have Boris Feather mm-hmm. before Companion because there was a point where they added Lurus instead of Feather. Yeah. Mine is still the original one when it came out. And then I've got uh, Mono White Auras, like the, mm. the $50 budget one. Because um, I, I built that to let people borrow if they wanted to play, sort of thing. Yeah. I will be picking up the Challenger decks as well. I want to pick up all four and then upgrade them mm-hmm. because, like you were saying about historic and modern, how they feel very similar. I think with that in mind, I think Piney has a really good opportunity to pull away and be its own yep. thing and have its own identity. So with the Challenger decks and rotation, it just seems a really good opportunity to get back into Pioneer. So I'm going to buy all the decks, I'm going to upgrade them and try and get people into it in like a local scene. Because the, the format seems really fun at the moment um, and it just deserves a bit more attention. Um, also, they have a second question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess this is aimed at me because yeah. I don't know if you follow <laughs> American football. Um, they asked what NFL team I support. I support the Carolina Panthers. Um, do you support any t- sports teams or are you not a sports person i'm i'm the kind of person that if my friends are like hey come on over we're gonna go watch a sports game i'm gonna be like yeah sports i'm here for the snacks so fair. <laughs> yeah. that's fair um and jhu also on the bmcast discord uh ask if you're a magic card which one would you be i would be three goblin electromancers in a trash coat nice yeah. i like that i would be a slippery bogle fair i think and they have a second question. How many decks do you own, keep, uh, built, and how many do you actually use regularly? Personally, they keep most of the decks built, but it pains them to like swap cards out of decks. Mm. So how many do you just keep like assembled as opposed to in, a part, in, in pieces? Um, well, I have... Let me just... They're actually all sitting in front of me, so I can tell you exactly. So <laughs> for Modern, I have Mono Red Burn, I have Twiddle Storm, I have Blue Red Prowess, and I have Hollow One. And I have uh, like a $30 Infect deck. For Pauper, I currently have built um, blue-red spells, I suppose. It's not quite Delver. It uses Serpentine Curve and that kind of thing as a finisher. Uh, I have Mono-White Heroic and I have Blue-White Familiars. And then Commander, oh god. I have Niv-Mizzet, I have Octavia, (laughs) I have Lelia, I have Sir Conrad, I have Jolrael, I have Glacian and Togo, I have Aura... I have Sior and Arden. I have a couple more that I can't think of off the top of my head. I'm just looking at the deck boxes and I can't remember what's in there. Uh, and mm. then obviously I have the blue tempo for Pioneer, like I said. And Phoenix is currently not together because I use a lot of the cards from that in blue red prowess in modern. So yeah, I've quite a lot together. Um, I do find it a pain to swap cards between decks and stuff, but. Yeah, I try to keep them together wherever I can. Um, I have a lot more commander decks Same. than I have anything else, though, at this point. I I have way more constructed decks than I do commander mm-hmm. decks. I think a lot of the commander decks I have are all like the pre-cons. So yeah. I've got the like the Lawhole pre-con, I've got the, the Rogue pre-con, and like, the Lands one, from mm-hmm. the, those two from Zendikar Rising. I haven't upgraded or touched those. They're still as they are. 
Um, but yeah, I agree. Like swapping out cars is really awkward because, um, especially when you run stuff like in one like Radical Progenitus and like Piffing Needles, like all these just like good sideboard cars, and you don't really want to swap them over. Yeah. Um, really, I should buy more coffees, but yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of feel the same. We also have a tweet from Evie the Mage. Uh, so they mm-hmm. say, so they recently built their own Lelia deck. Oh. You'd be happy to know. And realised how cheap this card is. Surly Badgersaw pairs well with your red loot and effects super well, giving you a threat ramp and removal all game long. It's also 50 cents on TCG Player, and it just seems a great pickup if you're looking to build the deck. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice one. And lastly, we've got a question from Servo Token from the BMCast Discord, and they ask, what magic content, if any, do you personally consume? Oof, there's a lot. Um, and I, I don't keep regular with anything because I jump around so much. So for Commander stuff... I have recently started watching some I Hate Your Deck, um, which is pretty good. Oh, that's cool. Um, I don't watch it all the time, though, because, again, there's just so much to choose from that I can't stick with the one thing for too long. Um, I think the thing I stick longest with is Versus Live, because whenever I have the chance to sit down and just watch like some constructive gameplay, particularly when they do modern, more so than anything else, um, yeah. that's pretty good. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, I read any article that I can remember to read so like twitter feed is really good for that where like i'll read angelo's articles i'll read emma's articles i'll read anyone's articles that i can remember to read because i have terrible memory to go and read so many things so i rely on my twitter feed to remind me that like hey read this person's article read that person's article and then podcasts i listen to the receivables i listen to arena deck lists that's really good and been really enjoying yeah receivables is great and I had another one, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But I think I, I think I've given plenty at this point. So, <laughs> yep. So a lot of my content consumption, just because I work from home and I do magic content, um, I don't always have time to read up stuff. Mm. So what I tend to do, my, a lot of my uh, content like consumption is like video, podcast, streaming, mm. just because I can have it on as like background noise when I'm working, sort of thing. Um, so Versus Live's a good one. I always have that on in the background when it's on. I seem, that's always fun. Um, I really, I'm really enjoying Aspiring Spike streams at the moment. Because mm. he, he's been streaming a bunch of modern. I th- he's, he's, a good, he's a good friend of mine as well. So it's just good to like... It's a good way for me to keep up with modern if I'm out of touch of it or I don't play it for mm-hmm. a little while. Um, I also enjoy Caleb D because he streams a lot of Cube. Mm. In terms of podcasts, it's mostly stuff like the Dive Down. Because again, they do a lot of deep dives into modern and like do like archetype like specialist stuff that's the sort of stuff i follow and then you've got like receivables has been really good that's been a good one to listen to as well a lot of my content tends to focus on like constructive format so i'm interested in like pioneer and modern and things Mm. like that so that's the stuff i tend to check out regularly yeah yeah, there's just so much. <laughs> it, there is a lot. Like the thing is, like I don't mind listening, like watching Commander stuff. Like the versus live Commander stuff's also quite good as well. But it's just like there's so much Commander content. It's just difficult to know where to start sometimes, yeah. just because there's a, especially now when you've got people like Post Malone playing, and you know it's just like becoming so popular. It's just like where do I start? Yeah, yeah. You... Maybe it's an episode in itself. It it could well be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier we have Aliandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, 
Tom Telford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, and Evil Vanilla Glaze. At the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, and Mickey Paris. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you would like to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your book.